Welcome to the Fan Experience, a Phoenix Rising supporters podcast. Stick around for interviews, analysis, fan stories, and our love affair with Phoenix Rising. And now to kick things off is your host, Niall McCarthy. Welcome Phoenix Rising family. This is a fun episode. We'll be celebrating our 3-0 win over Oakland Roots with Owen Evans and Kelly McCarthy. We were a tad nervous last week about our goalkeeper situation, but everything is working out perfectly. Our new goalkeeper, Ben Lunt, did a fantastic job for us, and even better news is that Zach Lubin, our number one goalie, was in the stadium on Saturday night, and he looks strong, happy, and healthy. Way to go, Zach. We're delighted to see you on the mend. In this week's show, we'll hear why this football club holds a special place in the heart of Phoenix Rising's number one fan, Monica McPherson. If you don't know Monica personally, then you're probably not on the payroll at Phoenix Rising, or even in one of the supporters groups, but you've seen her, trust me. That platinum blonde who ignites the smoke bombs at the stadium, that's Monica. She goes to 99% of the games, both home and away, and she might just have the loudest voice in any stadium she travels to. Yep, that's Monica McPherson, and we're delighted to have her on the show today. We'll hear from a fan in another land. Matthew McFadden, he's with us to tell us about his 5,000 mile trip from Scotland to Arizona to support Phoenix Rising. He tells us why the experience of being a Phoenix Rising fan is so much more special than being a fan of his other team, Manchester United. Our match preview is a little different this week, as we've got a special surprise in store for you. He's going to tell us what we need to know about our next opponent, Tampa Bay Rowdies, and what we need to do to beat them. Buckle in, Rising family. Here we go. Hey, Phoenix Rising family. I'm Niall. And this is Kelly. Last week, we critiqued the new stadium, and there were a few things that we noticed could do with a little TLC. For example, the water. Kelly, what was our problem with the water? It was hot. Yeah, There were water fountains and the water coming out of there was just hot. Well, we tried them again this week and Kelly? We're happy to report they were cool, refreshing, lovely and still free. Yeah, totally cool and drinkable and free. So awesome. We noticed that the line at the entrance that's dedicated to season ticket holders seemed to be flowing more smoothly as well. And that's totally awesome. We didn't try the food last week. This week we tried the food. Kelly, tell us about the food. I just want to preface this by saying we are by no means food critics. It has possibly been over a year since we had French fries. And for some reason, I got a hankering for fries. We tried them. They were delicious. The price was totally right. I think they were like $4.80 or something for a basket of beautiful, crisp, fluffy, like apostrophe shaped, beautiful French fries. Am I right? Yeah, they're like no French fries I've ever seen in my life. They weren't your skinny McDonald's French fries. They weren't your steak cut fries. They weren't your Arby's. Is it Arby's that do the curly no fries? Idea. It was nothing like oh, that. Curly. They were delicious. No. They looked fantastic. They were they- potatoey, 
but still had a french fry feel but they were not greasy they were magical they were i mean they were and and truly the price was appropriate um we're cheap and we normally don't eat food out so it was just a treat it was really fun the line was not long two thumbs up yeah absolutely that wasn't the best guys somebody from phoenix rising is listening to us Last week, we talked about the video board and we talked about how the video board was essentially a scoreboard and then it had maybe a little PowerPoint going up um, that was, was fun but disappointing because, Kelly... We want replays. I mean, we want to, with rapt attention, watch the game and then immediately watch the replay and celebrate again. And, you know, if you were accidentally looking at your French fries, you want to make sure you catch that amazing goal. And this week we were so excited, um, so excited that we kind of missed it <laughs> uh, for cheering and screaming and jumping and hugging. And then we noticed there were replays and what a cool difference that made. Yeah, that Jumbotron replay experience. Oh, my God, it was fantastic. So Phoenix Rising, keep it up. You guys are doing an amazing job both on the field and off the field. Go Rising. Go Rising. It's a good time to be alive when you're a Phoenix Rising fan, right, guys? Kelly is with me. Owen is with me. They're here to review the match from last weekend when we took on Oakland Roots. Kelly, what are your overall thoughts? Kick us off. I enjoyed it once again. Anytime you're winning, it's a great match for me. We were a little low energy starting out. I had some reservations in the beginning of the game, but uh, we quickly found our footing, found our pace, and it was a fantastic night. Owen. The start of the game was not the, the best. Um, it, it took them a little bit, I think, to to work out how Oakland were playing and, and play to that, um, which obviously was the unknown that we've, we've talked about all week, really. But once they got going, I mean, Oakland didn't really offer a great deal going forward. It didn't look like it was especially under threat. And so when those extra goals come in the second half, just put it out of sight. Great. Okay, let's drill down. Um, starting 11 was very similar to last week. Let's start in goal. We had a new goalie. Owen, what were your thoughts on our goalie? Ben wasn't challenged a huge amount, more so than Andre Rolls was last week. But he settled in well, it seemed. He seemed to to get on well with the defence, um, which is a I mean, real big challenge, to be honest, because he only landed in Phoenix on Tuesday night. You know, we, we expected him to play well. He is the, the reigning USL Championship goalkeeper of the year. But the main question mark, if anything, that we had was, you know, could there be a miscommunication or something that, that leads to a goal? And we didn't see that at all. So very positive performance from him. Absolutely. In uh, centre-backs, we had Toby Adewole and James Musa. Darnell King was left full-back. And we saw Ryan Flood coming in again as right full-back. Just a quick question for you, Owen. Were you surprised to see that Ryan Flood made the starting eleven? I wasn't. Um, he put in a very good shift last week. And so it's, it's not a surprise that he, that he was back in the, in the starting eleven. If anything, you know, it's, it's hard sometimes. You go out, you put in a very dominant 4-1 win against San Diego. How do you justify changing the lineup really at that point? Worse this week than he was the previous week. Um, he didn't put in a bad game at all, though, against Oakland. Just 
passing wasn't necessarily the best. I'm sure that'll come to him as the season goes on. But I think, you know, when you look at the centre-backs between them, Musa and, and Adewoli, it really stopped uh, Oakland from, from getting anything going, to be honest. In fact, if you really look at Oakland, it was only really Jeremy Bakila who really had the ball in the in the penalty area at all. So it's a very, very good defensive performance. Yeah, I thought so too. I thought with Ryan Flood, I thought he had a lot harder job on his hands as far as man marking goes. I thought he was really up against it. And, and I thought he shone. I thought he shut down the opposition. Kelly, any thoughts on our defensive line? I'd echo the two of you. I was impressed with the defense. Um, the clean sheet speaks to that. You know, I noticed towards the end of the game, I almost got the impression Adewale was quitting a little bit, which concerned me. That's something I'll be keeping my eye on. Um, something I love about Musa, and I don't know, I don't know how they're coached, but he really clears the ball. Like he is decisive and I feel very comfortable with him. He keeps with it. He almost has that like mentality of just like sweeping the ball out. King is a steady, solid presence. I didn't love the substitution. I know we were excited to see Billingsley, but I wasn't as comfortable with him in that position as I was with King. And I think, you know, the other team started to pick up some momentum when that substitution happened around the 60th minute. Okay. You mentioned that James Musa was decisive when he clears the ball. And I remember him when he played with us a couple of years ago, um, when he put it in the back of the net, he was also <laughs> very decisive about that. Before we move away from the defense, Owen, is there anything else you want to talk about there, either with to address what Kelly said about Toby but James, Darnell, Ryan, or Noah? It was the first time that most fans got to see Noah Billingsley play. And he didn't put in the best shift. I think it's a little unfair to him, perhaps, to be too critical. You know, it was one appearance off the bench. He did look a bit sharper in preseason. Perhaps a a rare case that we can actually say that. But, (laughs) you know, he didn't put the best shift in at all. I think they they were taking him on and they were winning a lot of those battles. So he's got to improve for next week, really. But, you know, as a whole, still clean sheet. You can't argue with the defence. Absolutely. And he may have been up against it more last night than what we saw in, in preseason. I felt like when he came on that, the game at that point was very intense. Um, they were Oakland Roots were fighting to, to get on the scoreboard, which they never did. The, even though the scoreline at the end was 3-0, I thought that it was a fight for a lot of the match out there. Uh, before we leave the defense, we saw Joey Farrell come in as well. Owen, any thoughts on Joey's performance? Well, it can be it can be hard sometimes with subs to, to really get a good grasp on, on how well they've played. He played fine, but at the end of the day, I think that Musa and, and Adewoli, is, they remain the starting pair. Um, and I think he's really going to have an uphill battle to try and break that and, and you know break into the the starting 11. We had Bacaro, we had Quinn, and we had Lambert in midfield. Kelly, what did you think of our midfield performance? Oh, I just loved them. I thought they were great. Uh, Quinn, to me, felt more decisive this week. He really, I know that, I guess that's my, my word of the day, but he really felt like he was um, taking a leadership role in the midfield and communicating a lot. So I could hear him talking to his teammates. And so, yeah, I liked the way he was directing things. I thought Bicaro played pretty well, but 
I was a little critical of him on defense and I feel like he got tired more than I wanted to see. You know, everyone's looking super fit uh, on the rising team and, and Baccaro looked a little dogged at the end there, but Lambert was strong as always. So overall, very pleased with the midfield. Well, yeah, just to pick up on that with, with, with John, um, I think it's something that Rick always says, Oh, I don't play with a, an out and out number 10, you know, but, but John Baccaro has never been the most defensive minded and he's never been the one who, you know, wins a lot of challenges in the midfield. In fact, in in this, you know, you're looking to Lambert and you're looking to Aidan Quinn to, to you know, really be the, the dogged ones in midfield who are going to win the ball back and start the counter-attack. And, and they did throughout the night. What's impressive about Bakira is the fact that he is, you know, despite being so far up the field, just a very consistently good passer. Um, and was last night, you know, his passing accuracy was somewhere in the, in the mid-80s. Um, which, you know, for a player who's a fair way up the pitch, that, that's pretty impressive. Moving on to our forwards, um, Rufat Dadishov in the middle, Santi Mora to the left, and Solo on the right. Kelly, thoughts? Sure. Well, I wish Dadishov would get some goals. I loved his early shot. Uh, that was impressive and beautiful, and thank goodness for Solo finishing up. I thought Asante was amazing. It was so good to see him back scoring goals. And, you know, I think I heard Rick comment uh, Asante's second goal. He kind of almost stripped the ball. He intercepted a pass, if you will, from their keeper to one of their defenders. You know, he was just on it. He was quick on his feet. He was looking for opportunities and he was making opportunities. They were great. I will say I felt like our strength was in making the opportunities, but it really was down to their weakness that we that we got the goals that we did. I mean, I if I think about each of the goals, there was kind of an error on their team that led to it. So, I mean, that's part of the game is capitalizing on their errors. We were aggressive, but I think they were lacking a little bit, and that led to some of the success that we saw. Okay. Owen, what do you think about that? Well, I mean, when you talk about capitalizing on errors, just, just think about how many of the goals in these opening games have come off of uh, balls rebounded back into play off the goalkeeper. Um, you know, there's always, it feels like someone, they're ready to pounce and they are pouncing and they're, they're scoring. I think that Solo, what we saw from him was a return of you know Solo just being clinical and taking his chances. I think he had three shots on the night and two of them go in. Yeah, that's, that's, you can't argue with that whatsoever. Santi Mar is these last two games. You, you look at him, you look at the form that he's on, and yeah, there were a lot of question marks at the start of the season. Can he replace Junior Flemings? Well, I think he's made his statement there. Rufat, you know, it's it's a rare one that you're in a position where you say we scored seven goals in two games and our, our striker can't seem to find the score sheet. But at the end of the day, you know, it's still early. There's still time for those to come. And a lot of times the strikers do play in that way. You know, there'll be the ebbs and flows of confidence and, and all things like that. They'll go through a good period and a bad period. But what's important is that while Rufat isn't scoring, the rest of the team is picking up the slack. Again, as I said, seven goals in two games. So, you know, even if he's not finding the score sheet, you're not really missing his goals at this point. Sorry, I just wanted to underscore what Owen said, um, saying that Asante looked, you know, clinical. I, I did notice both his goals, like corner of the net. They were beautifully placed. I mean, they were going in. It was, it was really fun to see. 
Clinical finishers, that's the way we like them. So proud of everybody on this team. Guys, stick around. We've got more to come, including a preview of our next game where we take on Tampa Bay Rowdies. Well, Phoenix Rising family, I don't know about you, but I'm really looking forward to our first away game against Tampa Bay Rowdies. Owen and Kelly are with us in the studio, and I've got a little bit of a surprise for you halfway through. So let's start off with Owen. Owen, what are we looking out for in this game? Who are we looking out for in this game? Well, I'd say the main, the main player, if you're looking for anyone, is, is Forrest Lasso in the defence. He's a big guy, six foot five. And he definitely is somebody that, that you should be looking out for. And, you know, if he can ultimately help to steady the ship, he could cause some problems for rising going forward. I think the team as a whole, you know, there's a reason that they were going to be in the final last year against Rising. Um, and they, they've returned a fair number of players who, you know, very good players. So it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a, a different kind of challenge, I think, from from what we've seen so far, not least because at the end of the day, I mean, San Diego was supposed to be a challenge, but appear to be just completely stalling to start this season, especially when you add in the, the results against RGV. So Tampa Bay haven't looked that way, even if, you know, in that game against Charlotte, they weren't the most impressive in in the first half. But I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what comes of it, I guess. Yeah. Like us, they've had two games. They won both of those games. Um, I think they look pretty strong. So we'll see. It's going to be potentially our biggest challenge of the season so far. Um, Owen, what would you change in terms of, of the lineup as we go into to this new game? I'm not sure, you know, still I'm not sure if there's a huge amount that you, you can or would want to to tinker with at this point um, in terms of the starting 11. Uh, you've won 4-1, you've won a game 3-0. Do you want to disrupt some of that rhythm? Because, you know, they, they're playing pretty well as a whole. I, I don't know if you really want to make many changes, if any. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that one. How about you, Cal? We all agree. Okay, good. All right. Well, you've been waiting for a score predictions. Owen, start us off. What's your score oh. prediction for us against Tampa Bay Rowdies? <laughs> feel as though mine always come out far more negative than they actually turn out. But I'm going to go with a draw because I think this is going to be a tough game. I think if, if Verizon come away with a point, from Alang Stadium, I think that is a very respectable point, and I don't think you can have any complaints. Okay, heading over to Alang Stadium, what's your prediction, Kelly? So I'm going to go with maintaining high scores for Rising, and I'm going to put this at three-two. Okay, before I give you my prediction, I mentioned at the start of the show that I'd have a little surprise for you as part of this segment. Well, here it is. I've got a Tampa Bay Rowdy supporter on the phone with us right now from Tampa Bay. Matt Cox, welcome to the Fan Experience, and please tell us a little bit about your team. Let's start with the coach. Uh, our coach is Neil Collins. He's uh, he's going into his third full season as a coach. He's fantastic. I can't 
I can't say enough about Neil Collins. He he loves the fans. The fans love him. He's he's had a great couple seasons. Who's your captain, and what is his position? Uh, cap- our captain is Sebastian Guenzati. He's uh, one of our forwards. He's been here for several years. He's been the leading goal scorer the last couple years. Um, come like the heart and soul of the team. We'll certainly be looking out for Sebastian or Seb, as I've heard him being referred to as well. But do you have a player who can put? the team on his shoulders and maybe it is Seb maybe think about defensively as well do you have somebody there who is just a real standout player uh well I mean Seba did it last week we were we're hosting we were hosting Charlotte Independence it was it was nothing uh nil-nil at halftime uh and not even really a whole lot of offense going on I think only one shot on goal for the team in the the first half uh probably about 10-15 minutes in uh Rowdies are awarded a penalty for a foul in the box. Seb is the penalty taker too. He takes that, puts us on the board, one nothing. Uh, about 15 minutes later, he is kind of left unmarked on a, on a set piece and heads in a free kick. Uh, and two minutes after that, feeds uh, an assist to uh, Leo Fernandez, who is another one of our long-serving uh, players. He's going to get to 100 caps this year too uh, for the third goal. So he, he did it all for us uh, offensively. Uh, defensively in the back, we've got, uh, we play a three-man back, uh, with Forrest Lasso in the center. Uh, he is the, uh, reigning USL defender of the year. The first time ever, uh, USL defend, two-time defender of the year. Uh, when I got to go to games last year, they were only having about a hundred or 150 people in there. Uh, Forrest will tell everybody else on the pitch what to do. And he won't move far from his position to do it. He is loud. He's in charge. He, he's not the the captain. Uh, and we don't. I don't think really have an official vice captain. But if if Seba comes off and, and Forrest is on the, the the pitch, then Forrest is getting the armband. Uh, any either of those guys are just fantastic in terms of the way they play the and and the leadership they bring to. How many players do you have returning from last year's squad? Turnover at this level in, in American soccer is pretty common. And for the first time ever, we brought back like 15 guys from last year's team. Like almost all the, like the starting defense, uh, our goalkeeper, uh, Evan Loro, who had a great season last year and is a fan favorite. We, we, we brought back a lot of guys, uh, but have brought in some too. And we're still trying to, to figure out who's going to be a sub and who's going to be a starter. Do Tampa Bay Roadies have a super sub, Matt? Uh, Lucky Kosana, who's in his second stint with the team, he had a, he had a great little run of coming off the bench last year, uh, providing a spark, either a goal or an assist or, or something. So uh, I probably don't expect to see him start this weekend. Uh, but if he's on the bench, I could see him coming on late and, and possibly having an impact. Okay, my friend, they were your easy questions. All right. Okay, I'm wondering if you've got any players out there who like to play dirty. Any players that like to play dirty? Uh, so I mentioned him a few minutes ago, Forrest Lasso. Uh, Forrest Lasso is a guy that you love when he's on your team and you hate when he's not on your team. Before he came here, uh, he played for Cincinnati. He played for Charleston. So we, we've seen him play here a couple times. Uh, I remember a game when he was playing for Charleston and they came here to Al Lang. It's when we had Joe Cole on the team. Uh, and he kind of went studs up into Joe Cole from behind. And, and you know, the level of refereeing we get sometime. I don't even know if there was a whistle. Uh, we were all uh, rightfully irate after the game. Forrest talked about what a, what a great opportunity it was to play against Joe. Joe's one of his idols. Uh, he's a guy that he will get under the, he's good at getting under the skin. 
of, of some of the opposition. He's he's good at uh, you know kind of goading people into cards, but he also gets a few himself. Uh, he's one that will definitely get involved and get in the mix with some of the guys. Because it's an away game for Phoenix Rising and because of the weather, I'm saying that Phoenix is the underdog going into this game. Mm-hmm. Tell me, Matt, what will Phoenix need to do to beat the Rowdies this weekend? Uh, and you're absolutely right. The, the humidity is, a, is definitely a thing, uh, especially, you know, we're heading into the, the getting into the beginning of summer. It can be a, it can be like running through a wall of water is what it feels like out there sometimes. Uh, and you know, it, it weighs down the ball on the pitch. The grass gets a little wet. It doesn't move as, as fast. Um, but one of the things we've, we've been, especially last year, and at least in the first game is we're, we've been a strong second half team. Like we might have, you know, it might be nil nil at halftime, or we might have one goal or, or we might've given us chances, but in the second half, we seem to come on strong. So if I was going to, and I don't want to give uh, anyone recommendations, but it, the things that I would see that would make me concerned early on would be if we if we give up early goals, if we concede an early goal or two, and like I said, our starting uh, our starting uh, defender or, or uh, starting unit is back from last year, so the key kind of would be uh, unlocking that group, taking advantage uh, of the chances that you get when they happen, because it's a very very strong group. Uh, the wingbacks get involved as well, dropping back to defend from time to time. Um, when you get a chance, if you can take advantage of it, and if uh, and, and conversely, if your defense can uh, play well enough to to stop the offense, because we have uh, not that not that we're prolific scorers, like you know, you guys won four one against San Diego, and I think maybe we had a one four goal game all last season. Like two or three is 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 is, is pretty norm. Three might be an outlier sometimes. Uh, so scoring a number of goals, scoring early, and then uh, stopping our attack because we were able to get we're able to get goals from the forwards, we're able to get goals from the midfielders as well too. So uh, we're able we've done pretty good with some goals from distance from time to time, but uh, it's not the the main part of the game. But I think you know stopping the attack, keeping us out of the goal, uh, and then taking advantages of the chances that you do get from our defense is going to be the key. I've heard through the grapevine, Matt, that you guys almost have an inability to score at one end of the stadium, and I believe there's some science behind that. Can you let us in on what that's all about? The mob end is is the end, uh, like behind the where the mob stands in the, the the supporter section. The other end we call the Mahaffey end because there's a performing arts center right behind the stadium called the Mahaffey Theater, uh, and for some reason. Uh, last year, it took forever before there was a goal in the mob end. And uh, last weekend, all three goals were in uh, the Mahaffey end. So whichever, whichever, we, you know, whenever we end up defending uh, or, I mean, attacking that half, but then I think they try and get the second half as much as possible because they like to think of themselves as a second half team when the opposition's kind of worn out, maybe by the weather and humidity, that's when we want to bring on a sub or that's where we want to step up the, uh, the work rate. It just seems to be that way. We, we score a lot of goals in the uh, in my happy end. So I'm definitely taking note of that. You guys will not be scoring in the mob end when you play Phoenix Rising. Okay, I've got that down. <laughs> Matt, I'm really excited for this game. I was over on Twitter and DePinto says, Rowdies versus Rising is the most important cultural event of our generation. Hell yeah. Mike Pendleton says literally everyone is talking about it. So, yeah, it's going to be an exciting match no matter what way you look at it. 
Matt, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. And do you have any closing thoughts? There's so many different ways this game could go and all of them seem exciting to me. I'm really, I'm glad that they're getting a chance to play this. We were all looking forward to it last year. We were all, I know your fans were, uh, were, were disappointed about it. I still see the, the, the mentions in the tweets sometimes. We were too, like it was, it was going to be a great, it was going to be a great night for the league, but especially for the fans of, of these two clubs. So uh, I'm really excited that they were able to put this on the schedule. Good luck this weekend, Matt. And who knows, maybe we'll meet in the final again, in which case I'll have you back on the show. Thanks, buddy. All right. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, Matt, I'm not going to ask you for your score prediction, but hey, Kelly, you predicted a 3-2 win for Phoenix Rising. Are you sticking with that? I am definitely sticking with it. Go Rising. All right. She's in it to win it. Thank you, Kelly. Thanks for having me. And Owen, it was great to see you. Thanks for coming on today. And thanks for having me. We've got a lot more in the show today, guys. We've got Matthew McFadden, who's telling his fan story. He's a fan from another land. He traveled all the way from Scotland to support Phoenix Rising. Matt Cox, that you just heard from, he's going to stick around and tell us some of his supporter stories with Tampa Bay Rowdies. And also, Monica McPherson is here. She's going to tell us why she's the official number one fan, and she's also got a supporter story for us. Before we get to all that, let's talk score predictions one more time. Our boys, Phoenix Rising, are going to St. Petersburg to take on Tampa Bay Rowdies. They're playing at Al Lang Stadium. Al Lang Stadium, it used to be a baseball stadium, it's now a soccer stadium. They don't play baseball there anymore. And it's often quoted as being a favorite of players. From all around the league, anytime you hear a question being asked as to what's your favorite stadium, players almost always say that it's this stadium, Al Lang. So, our boys are going to be looking forward to getting over there and they're going to be looking forward to taking on one of the best teams in the league and most of all, they're looking forward to coming home with a 3-0 win. Go Rising! Matt Cox is still with us to talk about his support for his club, Tampa Bay Rowdies. Matt hosts the Unused Substitutes Soccer Show, an awesome supporters podcast dedicated to his club. You can connect with him on Twitter at unsub underscore Matt and on his website, theunsubs.soccer. Matt, welcome back and thanks for sticking around. Tell us a little more about the club and maybe you have a special memory to share with our listeners. Uh, so I've been following this team since they got started back in, uh, in 2010. So originally the Rowdies existed in the, in the, uh, the, the, the 1970s and played for a while in the eighties and nineties before, uh, we call it politely going on hiatus. Um, I, their first year that they played in the original, uh, incarnation of the North American soccer league, they won the title, beat the Portland Timbers. Uh, and that was basically America's first division at the time. Uh, and I was born just a couple years later in, or a couple months later in 1976. So my best memory, my, my number one memorable moment is 2012 uh, and are playing uh, NSC Minnesota, who has now turned into uh, uh, Minnesota United FC and MLS. Uh, the, the, the final back then was a two leg final. So the first leg was in Minnesota. Uh, we come out of that one down two nothing. Everything looks bleak. There's all kinds of stories off the field about how Minnesota's in, in, in like shaky ownership and they could possibly, even if they win, uh, shut down at the end of the season. And the second leg comes to, to, to St. Pete uh, for, for our home uh, leg of it. 
and I'm walking into the game with a friend of mine and I look over at him and I'm like, we're going to win this in penalties. And, uh, and sure enough, the, the Rowdies score two uh, goals pretty quick to, to get it level on aggregate, kind of while still celebrating the second goal. They give up another one, but in a weird NASL rule, away goals didn't count for anything. So the Rowdies get another one just before the end of, uh, of, of uh, regulation time. Uh, and have a player sent off. So they play They play two 15-minute overtime periods, down a man, uh, manage to keep it level. It goes to penalties, and uh, our goalkeeper at the time, who is now uh, uh, Portland Timbers goalkeeper, Jeff Atnella, uh, saves three or four of them for the Rowdies to win. So to, to be there, in the, the stadium's packed, everyone's screaming. We're, we're, just, we're, I mean, we're right behind the goal, and, and for that to happen, was uh, that's easily... Uh, to watch them lift the trophy was, was my number one moment. Soccer culture is in its infancy here in Phoenix, definitely compared to Florida, where you've had decades, um, almost 50 years of Tampa Bay Rowdy. Now, I do understand that there was an original team and you guys had some really world-class players on that team. And then you took a hiatus, the team took a hiatus, and then you came back. Um, maybe a, a decade ago or so. So just tell us about that and tell us about, in general, soccer culture in Florida. So originally, with the original Rowdies, it, it was great. They would they would pack uh, Tampa Stadium, which is where the, the Buccaneers, Tampa Bay Buccaneers from the NFL used to play. Uh, you know, you had teams like Pele and the Cosmos coming through. Uh, Rowdies had Rodney Marsh. You had guys like George Best with uh, uh, Fort Lauderdale Strikers. Like, you just... You had a lot of, of great players, and those players were really ingrained in the community. A lot of those guys are still around after they retired. They live in the area. Uh, they still come to games. We'll, we'll see old players out there from time to time. Uh, the Tampa Bay Mutiny came next when MLS started, and it was it was kind of a, uh, a hit or miss from the very beginning. Uh, they wanted to to avoid any of any of the NASL references, so the Rowdies' name wasn't used. Uh, and the Rowdies were fairly, I mean, the, uh, the Mutiny were fairly successful. They were the original Supporter Shield winners before there even was a Supporter Shield. But there was just some mismanagement. The, uh, the, the, the league had gone to the Glazers, who own uh, the, the Tampa Bay uh, Buccaneers, and, and tried to get them interested in buying it. And they said, no, not thanks. We're really not interested in soccer. And then they turned around and bought Manchester United a few years later. Uh, so they eventually the team was pulled, and it, it's kind of been uh, a struggle since then, at least for club soccer, like national soccer does really well. We get a lot of uh, friendlies. We've had World Cup qualifiers. We've had uh, Gold Cup games here. And, and those always draw pretty well because I've gone to those. Um, there's a lot of, uh, of, of European soccer fans, uh, with, you know, whether it's uh, England, whether it's Spain, uh, you're kind of your big, your big leagues. Um, but the Rowdies have kind of been slowly but steadily rebuilding. And, and you know, I, I remember going to games when there was 2,000 people in the stands. And uh, now, it, you know, when, when the world is normal, it's, it's not uncommon to be five, six, even 7,000. The, the home opener usually always sells out. Uh, stadium capacity is about 7,000 right now. So uh, they do pretty well. The, the media coverage, the acceptance, especially last year when we had kind of just a great year in sports in Tampa Bay with the, the Rays going to the World Series, the, the Bucks winning the Super Bowl, the Lightning winning the Stanley Cup, and then the Rowdies winning the Eastern Conference and, and uh, advancing to the final that never happened. Uh, they've been included a lot in, in the conversation, which they weren't before. So there's, there's definitely been an uptick in fan interest. 
Uh, we're still doing limit, limited capacity at games, but I'm really excited to see what happens when we get to the point when it's we can open it up to everybody again, because I think it's going to be uh, a good point for them. A lot of people listening to this podcast in Phoenix, in Arizona, and in other places around the country will be quite envious, Matt, to be honest, that you guys have such a rich soccer tradition in Florida. We're not at all jealous of what you've got, what you're putting out on the pitch these days, let me tell you that, because <laughs> when Phoenix gets to town, you guys are going to be crying like babies. But on to the next question. What is the hill? <laughs> Uh, so the hill is, is currently my favorite place on the planet. Uh, it's a new addition, uh, not necessarily a new addition, but a new renovation at the stadium. So uh, Al Lang Stadium, where the, the Rowdies play, is an old minor league baseball stadium. And the, the main stand is, is the original baseball seating. All the inside, the, the pitch has been uh, torn up, leveled, and, 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 and redone. So it's, it's soccer-specific on the inside but there's still a lot of the old baseball features around. And, and this, this hill is like this, this, like this little like berm area that's off to the side of one of the stands. Uh, and it used to be like every, you, you go to the game and if you had kids, you sent your kids over there and they ran around in there, it's kind of enclosed. They would roll down the hill and kind of like smash into a wall every now and then. <laughs> but one of the things the club has done, it, it was supposed to have started last year, but because of COVID and, and limited attendance, they weren't able to. The team created a safe standing section behind one of the goals and pulled out all the seats that had been there and turned that into a standing section. And uh, that's like right now, only season ticket holders are being allowed in and they're mostly being put in that section. But the team realized, hey, we could put some more of these standing areas on this hill, on this berm, and sell those too. And so it's, you know, in, in, in like pods of two or four. Uh, it's right there in, in the corner behind one of the goals. It's, uh, it, there's a Tiki Hut bar right behind it. Uh, and the way they've done it, it's fantastic. That's where my season ticket is now. And I go out there and we were there last weekend for the first game and standing out there. And we've kind of taken to uh, naming the different areas of the stadium. Like instead of just calling it the stand, like we had, well, there's the main stand and there's the mob end where the where, where Ralph's mob sits. And then uh, we, we've kind of started naming these other areas. So we started thinking, well, we've got to come up with a name for this. Uh, our coach, when we won the NASL championship in 2012, was Ricky Hill, who was a former player uh, from the original days. Uh, so we started, now we've, we started calling it Ricky's Hill. Phoenix Rising currently seems to have three supporters, three active supporters groups. There's Valley Fever. <laughs> yeah, I know. We love that one too. Union 602 and Los Bandidos. You guys, Tampa Bay Rowdies, have two supporters groups, Ralph's Mob and Skyway Casuals. What can you tell us about those two supporters groups? So the way it is, Routes Mob was the original group named after the, the mascot from the original year. Seeing seen the old Rowdies logo. It's this crazy guy running around kicking a soccer ball. His name was Ralph Rowdy. Uh, so when the team started back again, this group formed and called itself Routes Mob after him. The last couple of years, a new group called Skyway Casuals has formed. Um, both groups are in the same section, and it's just kind of like these are the supporters. Uh, the groups get along. They they work on on TIFO and other things like that. And it's just it's just kind of like a like Ralph's Mob is more the the, the Tampa and St. Pete supporters, and then Skyway Casuals are the uh, the, the the south. We, we call ourselves South of the Skyway. We're the southern group of fans. What's game day like with the supporters groups? 
Ralph's Mob will typically meet up in a local uh, local nearby bar, uh, hang out before there before the game, and then march to the match. The Skyway Casuals will usually uh, put on a big tailgate. It's it's you know open to the opposition fans to come in. We have a good time before the game. We yell at them for ninety minutes during the game, and then we have a good time together after the game. I'm loving the camaraderie of all that, Matt. On the pitch, your team, Tampa Bay Rowdies, has an excellent product. You proved yourselves last season when you won the Eastern Conference, and so far this season you've been getting very positive results. So on the field, you guys are getting it right. I've heard really good things about what happens behind the scenes too. Tell us about the rings that were presented to the fans and about the owners standing up for the fans when the city tried to ban smoke at the games. The team had uh, ring like championship rings made for the Eastern Conference Championship, and they also presented one to the uh, to the two supporters groups. So they each got their own custom ring. It has their has Skyway Casuals and Ralph's Mob on it, and all of the other details from the ring. Um, yeah, they are they are very very big on uh, getting feedback from the fans. What can they do better? How can they improve the game day experience? Uh, when the city of St. Pete wanted to ban uh, smoke at matches, the team stepped up and, and was kind of part of resolving that situation so that there could be a, a, a you know, a, a resolution to it. So smoke would be allowed at the matches again, because that's a big thing for the supporters groups. Um, there's, there've been missteps, but they are, you know, they are open to feedback and, and they listen. And listening is important. Matt, thank you so much for being on the show. As I said earlier, good luck next weekend. And I hope to see you back on this show for the final. Thanks, Matt. All right. Thanks a lot. Good talking to you. That's a hard segment to follow. Guys, stick with me. I've got two short stories for you. The first one is an interview with Monica McPherson, Phoenix Rising's number one fan, and you're going to find out why. Just after that, we've got a fan from another land. Matthew McFadden is here to talk to us about what an incredible thing it is to be a Phoenix Rising supporter, even from 5,000 miles away. But first, here's Kelly's interview with Monica. It's such a pleasure to welcome you to the Fan Experience Podcast. We didn't feel like we were a real podcast until we got your voice on the air. So is it safe to call you Phoenix Rising's number one fan? I am season ticket holder number one, so yes. Actual? Yes. Oh, that's so cool. So you're known as a devoted supporter and a powerful presence behind the goal on the South End. Have you ever missed a game? Oh my gosh. Okay. I I had a really serious surgery and the, the surgery was during one of our playoff games. I could not change it. I did everything I could to make that not happen. Like, I'm like, no, no, no. Let's wait till after the season's over. And they're like, you can't do that. Yeah. It, it was like a really serious one. I'm like, okay, this is not fun. And it, it was one of our playoff games that was on a Friday and I'm sitting there after surgery and I had my laptop, I had my jerseys, I had everything in my hospital room, the bobbleheads, everything. And I hear, I love Devin, by the way, I hear Tyler and Devin on my computer saying there's one person missing tonight. Like there's, there's a clip of it. Um, and it's Mon, you know, feel better, Mon, they're going to win this for you or something like that. And I was like in tears. I was already weird from the anesthesia. 
but I love them. Seriously, they're, they're both amazing humans. So it's like, it was so, I was sobbing. I was, I was such a mess and they won. And I had gotten some messages from the players and from Rick, cause they knew I wasn't going to be there. They knew I was missing and, and Carl was still with us. And he's like, Mon, we won that for you. You have to be at the next game. Well, I was at the next game. I wasn't supposed to be at the next game, but Brett wanted me up in the owner's box. That was the most miserable experience. I, you, I can't yell what I want to yell up there. You just don't do that up there. I mean, everybody's lovely up there. On like, but I'm, I was so far from the field that I just, it just wasn't a good experience for me personally. Um, you definitely can see everything, but, and you can see, you know, exactly the plays that are happening and all the set pieces, you can definitely see them, but it just, I was so far away. I could have been watching it on TV, but I appreciate him doing that for me. So I was safe when I was there. Like, He's like, no, man, you have to be here because I'm worried about you. And genuinely, there was reason for that. And I'm, I'm really happy. And we're so happy that we've got people, good people, looking out for good people. And Monica, this one's for you. What's up, football-loving maniacs? This is Devin Kerr, and you're listening to The Fan Experience. Matthew McFadden, you're a fan from another land. You live in Scotland, but you're well known to Phoenix Rising fans and some players, as you're very active on Twitter, where you love to talk about Phoenix Rising. You also have a close relationship with some very passionate Phoenix Rising supporters here in the Valley. Matthew McFadden, tell us, how did you ever even hear of Phoenix Rising Football Club from your home in Scotland, which is almost 5,000 miles away from Phoenix, Arizona? Um, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a long way away to say the least, like halfway across the world. Um, but I first originally heard of Phoenix Rising through Andrew Southwick, who quite a lot of Phoenix Rising fans will know. Uh, he's a season ticket holder. He goes to every single game, or every single home game at least. Um, I remember like the commentators have mentioned him a few times as well. So like, I think we started talking maybe like 2017 towards the end of then, um, in which he had mentioned that team once or twice. But it was until about, I think, the late late 2018, it was actually Drogba's last ever game that I started was the first Phoenix Rising game that I watched, um, which was the final against Louisville City, I think. So I started watching them like properly at the start of 2019, and I just absolutely fell in love with it because it's like, you know, my main team is my United from, you know, down in Manchester, about five or so hours away, in a, but assuming that I'm driving there, which is obviously a little bit far, or at least for, for a UK standard. But, um, yeah, so Phoenix Rising, I think I've started properly watching them first half of 2019. And know some people like um, Michael Vanderplas from at the time, Red Fury, Christian, and so on and so forth. Integrated myself into the fan base through that. And then came about August, it was right after my birthday, and I went on holiday to Arizona. Genuinely the single best thing I've ever done. Two of the games that we saw against Phoenix, well, two of the Phoenix games that we saw were Dollar Beer Night games against, I think it was... Sacramento Republic and Reno. We beat Reno something like 4-2, Sacramento Republic 2-1, and they were just like the best experiences ever. Just being there where everyone's just singing so loudly, just being like the loudest people ever, just ridiculous. 
that I was here screaming my face off like normally quiet old me is just here like screaming louder than he's ever screamed before and yeah the, the atmosphere of that particular game was just unbelievable I'm not sure if it's just Phoenix Rising or if it's just like the kind of smaller stature of clubs it's that you get to meet all the players afterwards you know you get all, all your stuff signed by them because like when I go to my United games yeah you might get the opportunity to get your stuff signed by you know certain players or whatever but you don't get to chat to them like their friends or whatever when I was speaking to Sam Duran, Adam Jan and a couple of the fans, I noticed that all of them were in agreement in terms of Phoenix Rising is pretty much like a club for the fans. Like they want to be as connected as possible to them. So when you were mentioning like the ability to sort of like talk to players or whatever at the stadium, one thing I especially loved was at the support section after we won, you had all the players come to come to there and they would like sign your um like sign your shirts, sign programs, whatever. I absolutely love that. Like, I've actually got signed Phoenix Rising shirt hanging up on a wall right now. The same from, I think, like 13 different players and as well as Coach Shanks. And you wouldn't get that in Man United or like any other massive club. That sort of sums up what Phoenix Rising is kind of like for me. Like, it's not just 11 players on a field and fans who are disconnected. It's like one big family. Thanks for listening, Phoenix Rising family. I'm going to leave you with a few takeaways for the game this coming Saturday. Number one, Tampa Bay Rowdies have played two games so far this season and have won both 3-0. Number two, they do better in the second half and they have a hard time scoring into the supporters' side of the stadium, which they call the mob end. Number three, their captain and all-around talisman is Seb, short for Sebastian. His last name is Gwenzadi. Number four, Tampa Bay Rowdies play with three defenders at the back with Forrest Lasso in the middle, a player you will love to hate. Before I get to number five, I'd like to let you know that our theme music was composed by Sam Healy. His latest release, Cherry Cola, is available for you on Spotify. Number five, one last thing is that Tampa Bay Rowdies have a theme song. I'm going to play you out with it. Try to keep a smile off your face. Here goes. To behold, you'll swear there'll be devils with magical toes. You'll laugh, you'll cheer, you'll leap from your seat when they kick with their head instead of their feet. The rowdies run here, the rowdies run there, they kick the ball around. The rowdies run here, the rowdies run there, and then they fall on the ground.
course we're not going to let them have the last word. Go rising, take care of yourself, take care of your brothers, take care of your sisters. See you back here next week. Thank you guys.